to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. Episode 14. Of season two. Yeah. What is it? Episode 21 on the uh, yeah the Blu-rays and so forth? Well, yeah, just in, in general. It's the 21st episode of, of Twin Yeah, Peaks. but I mean, do you count the pilot as episode one? No. But people do. But you shouldn't. But, but do. I do. I, I do. do. I do too. So, so why do you say you shouldn't? Well, because the DVDs and everything that they've ever produced have always said no episode one. Yeah, and they with... also don't do the episode titles. And here you are reading them in German. Doppelspiel. <laughs> that's the name of this one. Uh, it means double play. Double play. At least that's the translation we've got. Here's the real German. Doppelspiel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting your, better. Your German is getting better. Uh, yes. Are you Are you practicing? I am not at all. It's just the words are getting easier. There's far fewer syllables <laughs> jammed into one word. No, secretly Aiden's been watching a lot of German TV. Actually, just expressionist film. but yeah. Right, from the 1920s yeah. before talking was invented on, exactly. on screen. Exactly. Yeah. I'm reading a lot of German, okay? It's great. Um, <laughs> so let's get started with uh, the usuals, the usual right. suspects. Uh, so this episode was written by Scott Frost, who is Mark Frost's brother and Warren Frost's son. He also wrote the... Uh, um, Autobiography of Dale Cooper. Yes. Which is... He's written a few episodes already, right? Uh, he was involved, at least. He was a co-writer? No? I'm not sure. We'll look it up. We'll look it up. Um, it was directed by Uli Edel. Edel? Uli Edel? German director. Yeah. This was his uh, very first foray into Hollywood directing and Hollywood television directing, especially. Did he do anything else? Um, well, he's gone on to do other films, but, um, he didn't do any more Twin Twin Peaks. Peaks, no. Um, it aired on February 2nd, 1991, and was set on March 18th, 1990. Okay. 1989. Yeah. Sorry. 89. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, so, um. That's it? That's it. Where do we start with this episode? Well, the log lady. Where we always start. Yes, exactly. Um. So what does she say? What what is what are you know, what is the log lady's approach to this this episode? I've got some notes, um, but I prefer to hear it from you because you're smarter than I am. <laughs> Aw, that's the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. It's just accurate, but <laughs> uh, she she spends the entirety of her speech talking about blood and love, the heart, and the differences and similarities between blood and love, yep. being that the heart pumps blood but the heart is also the center of the the emotion that we yeah it, refer it, to as love. it's two organs it's a physical organ and an emotional organ yeah um love like blood flows from the heart she says and are love and blood related yeah. it would follow that they were but are they actually related yeah. does a heart pump blood as it pumps love is love um, the blood of the, the universe. universe and it's an interesting quote to have before an episode like this, which has very little to do with love, love and yes. everything to do with evil. And yeah, there's more blood than love in this episode. Yeah, for sure. yeah. Um, I feel like, and the love that we do get um, is kind of it's almost unbelievable. I mean, specifically Evelyn's right love declaration for yes. James, which is in this episode. Um, we get different kinds of love too. We have the love that um, clearly is is trying. Well, in in the little Nikki storyline, yeah. there's some elements of of 
maybe love. Yeah. In a different way. Yes. Paternal, paternalistic love. love. Yeah, I guess. The other one is uh, Cooper. Right, And his exactly. love with Carolyn. And I think that's the, the biggest... Is it Caroline or Carolyn? He says Carolyn in this episode, but in... in other episodes, Other episodes, Caroline. Caroline. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, but anyway... Right. It's spelled the same. Yeah. <laughs> so Helpful, yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, unless there were two women. <laughs> that would, it would unnecessarily Twin come. Peaks, yes, you it know, would. their theme of duality, yes. that there would be a Carolyn and a Caroline. I don't know. Anyway. Yes. Um, but but it wasn't it, it was a thought provoking question because and and just, you know, stream of consciousness, let's just spitball here. When did the heart become the center of of love for for in the human you know well, history know. of evolution well chaucer definitely uses it already so right and and, yeah, and that's one of the earliest love poems in english language at least but i think it's it's more of a western it's well no i think like you know the heart chakra in in eastern yeah, okay yeah you know there's there's elements of that all over well, the i mean place, i think but, i mean you talk about like heartbreak right it's kind of it's a physical reaction of the body going into shock at the the thought of loss of right. losing someone, right? Right. But it feels like your heart they're having a heart attack almost. Well and and, so, and they, it is a recognized yeah, thing. Yeah. We we you know recently lost uh, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds within twenty four hours of each yes. other and after that happened a lot of doctors were saying like this is this can an actual thing. Yeah. Debbie Reynolds was so heartbroken over the loss of her daughter that she died. Yeah. So I mean you I, know Yeah, I feel like yeah the I don't know why it affects the heart of all the nervous well, I think system. Just, I think, you know, it's stress more than anything. Yeah, like when, yeah. When you're upset and your heart is, is one of the organs that, you know, yeah, cardiovascular, reacts, cardiovascular yeah. health is affected by stress in yeah. a lot of ways. So Yeah, so a big a big dollop of stress can, can do this. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a pretty consistent, yeah. But it's just interesting to hear the log lady equate what physically happens in the heart. Yes to what emotionally we've ascribed to the heart and then to have it juxtaposed with within an episode that really is is kind of scary in a lot of ways it 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 deals in a lot of pretty conventional horror tropes that we we're going to be talking about here as well so yeah um and and the other thing that comes up when you talk about blood or the heart or love is the color red and there's a lot of red in this episode. Yes, there is. There's. It's always. I mean, Twin Peaks was filmed with a, a warm filter yes. on that was deliberate yeah. from the very beginning. But this goes beyond that. This is like supernatural or uh, definitely unnatural uses of the color red. Yeah. Um, even yeah, especially the uh, well, even blood. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of when right. Lucy kills a fly. And right. Yeah. There's no fly with that much blood. Right. <laughs> in it. Um, yeah. But you know, it's a it's again a healthy healthy amount of blood on the. On the screen Could there, have been so. a really big mosquito. I guess. The have subtitle said fly. Mosquito? Uh, well, yeah, I know, but I mean. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But no, that that would have been a gigantic mosquito. Like that's that's enough to well, like bring all the prehistoric animals back if you found it in amber. A mosquito. <laughs> like you could. Aiden you could is recounting the plot of Jurassic Park. Well, for yeah. Those of you who don't everybody understand. Everybody Everybody's seen Jurassic Park. Not everybody. Everybody's seen Jurassic Park. If you haven't seen Jurassic Park, stop listening to us right now. <laughs> Find a copy and watch it because it is a masterpiece. Oh, there it is. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, we open we this open episode it. with uh, a, a really disturbing. I it's it's a it's a dirty, gritty kind of. It's a really scary sequence. I love it. Yeah. 
um, this dead drifter in in Sheriff Truman's office, and it's a close up of his mouth, and there's blood and dirt on the tape that's, that's over his him, yeah. over his mouth, and they're removing it and pulling a chess piece out of his mouth. That I mean, when it's enough that when you see it at first, it's it's just a disturbingly intimate close-up of something you don't want to be close to but then to find out that there was a, a pawn a chess piece pulled out of his mouth it, it goes into a whole other stratosphere of of creepiness yeah. right it's yeah, like is, serial killer yeah creepy. This, is, this is why i don't feel bad for andy like andy's just holding oh, out yeah. because he can't look because of course he burst into tears it's a brilliant like, re- return of that that idea that andy can't handle his job his like, job yeah Last episode, he was chasing cats out of trees. Yeah, exactly. That that's is, that's that Andy's is perfect yes, job. Yes, that's his wheelhouse. Um, but Cooper correctly deduces that this is the work of Wyndham Earl. Um, he he describes in detail. Well, he he tells Doc Hayward that um, if you the, lift up yeah. his shirt, you'll find a stab wound. And Hayward he does knows it. he does. They find that's exactly what they find when yes. they lift up his shirt, and um, and there's a, a resignation. In Cooper at this point when yeah. he realizes he describes in in pretty vivid detail exactly what happened yeah. and later in the episode we find out that he's absolutely 100% correct that's how well he knows his former partner mm-hmm. um, or how well I don't want to say it's not predictable because Winnemarl is not predictable but in this case what he's done is incredibly predictable well it's not or, predictable it's 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 easy to decipher for Cooper because he right. knows what Winnemarl is going after he knows that He's trying to recreate the stabbing that took Carolyn's life. And right. So he's drawing on that information that he already right. has. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, so that's that's a really interesting uh, moment because we still we've we've heard Cooper tell Audrey what happened, but we haven't heard much more detail. We'll, but we will in this episode because um, Cooper is now um, getting quite close to. And I mean, remember that this scene takes place only minutes after the last episode left off, and only minutes after the last episode left off. Before that, um, Cooper was being held hostage. Yeah, like bye. this is a this is a powder keg, yeah. this uh, or a pressure cooker. I yeah, mean, like all of these things happening, and he's still kind of. I think you, it would be hard to process all of this happening all at once. So it's it's a it's a troubling scene, and it's it's hard to. Um, well, it's hard to watch. It's hard to, you know, you feel really invested in it, I think. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, as far as a splash for a bad guy to have, this is right. a pretty good one. Well, yeah. It's you a, haven't met Wyndham Earl yet. No. You've got, We've gotten chess deals. That's yeah, all and, we've gotten. No, and his voice. On yes, right. One recording, but that's But that's, that's it. it. So, so this is a pretty big, and the fact that he caused an explosion and right. set off fires, right. potentially from the explosion, yeah. uh, in order to do this, like, that's something Bob <laughs> in all well, his see, evil and this is this is the thing this of. is this is why i mean Wyndham Earl is really underserved as a as a um as a villain i think because of what we've talked about him not being introduced until this late stage in the game like we've only got 10 episodes until the, the finale yeah. right or nine episodes so yeah. um and and he's supposed to be the central villain but it's moments like this where the link is is fairly clear between you know you've got this fire imagery, Wyndham Earl can, can yeah. he deals in fire. Yeah. Like, that's, there's a lot of fire in this episode, too. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, uh, fire imagery 
um, being linked with Wyndham Earl is, is pretty important. There's also the nature imagery too that I wanted to bring up because um, they Cooper knows that they're not going to find fibers or footprints, yeah. but what they do find yeah, is a, a branch, branch. Yeah. that Cooper thinks is a Douglas fir, but Truman correctly says is lodgepole pine. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think that's interesting that that this intrusion of if you want to talk about the the broader theme of man versus nature here is a here's a a, a villain who is literally bringing nature into yeah. the center of of Twin Peaks. Yeah, even doing it with like the heart of the town. Yes, right? yeah, and doing it with not just the the branch, but also the the dead animal that he's yeah kind of exactly stuffed and, and exactly put in there. the stag. It, yeah, it's it's really about. Yeah, it's almost a, a re-intrusion of nature into yes. a safe place that, right. that man had kind of cordoned off from. And the fact that the fires forced everybody out, out yes. and that Wyndham came in through the window, yeah. and and it's it's kind of a yeah. There's there's definitely a a, a nat, natural quote unquote element to him that that is yes. unnatural supernatural but yes. it's it's bringing in the elements of nature he's he's far more elemental yes i think if we want to use terms that we used in previous episodes he he's an elemental force yeah. and I, I think that is kind of his one connection to bob mm-hmm. and i mean you get more of Wyndham earl's character in yeah. the next couple episodes yeah um but he really does i think he sees himself as a force of the evil in the woods right. that's coming back to punish Cooper more well, than yeah, anything else. Exactly. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, he's really kind of tossed aside as that uh, force, but I think that's what makes him's character work really well, is, yeah. is the moments when you get the sense that he is capable of tapping into the same evil that yeah, Bob was. exactly. Um, and it, it feels like a natural pickup. Um, and scenes like this and his introduction at the end of this episode really, yeah. really enhance that. Yeah. Um, but there are other times when he doesn't, like whenever, okay, we, no, uh, we won't go into no, this. No, we're not yeah, going to go into it because yeah. that's going to get spoilery for future episodes, yeah. but we will come back to it. We will get back to, to it. there. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so that's a great opening scene, first of all. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and it really does set up that something has changed fundamentally in the town of Twin Peaks, that we have another murder. But it's uh, someone they don't know, someone whose story they don't know. It's very different from, like, you know, Maddie being killed or... Yeah. Or Laura. Or Laura being killed, being, right? Yeah, the center um, So it's something very... It's a drastic change from the way that, that Twin Peaks has handled murder. It's almost... Um, well, this is almost more of a procedural crime drama. Like, you don't yeah. know anything about the victim. You don't know any of this. Yeah. You know, it's it's a total unknown um, that they're going to have to discover and yeah, and, try and it and really it really sets up that um, the off kilter feeling that that where previously we might have looked to Cooper as being the one who had more information than we did. Now Cooper knows just as little as we do. Yeah. Um, well, he, he, might, yeah, he might know a little a bit more about more. about how to get to those answers still, but it's it's still it's a much bigger or it's it's not a bigger mystery, but it's a different kind of mystery yes. that we're dealing with. Yes. Um, Moving from the sheriff station, we go to the Great Northern, which is um, yeah. all covered in candlelight and fires, and yeah. and it's it's, but it's a controlled fire. Yeah. So I I, I hesitate to say that it's it's connected, in any no, way. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's face it, they play with those lines between controlling nature and and nature Harnessing. coming back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To bite it, bite you in the butt. Right. Um, a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, like this is. Yeah, the the use of fire is usually 
man is using it for its own purposes, right. for his or her own purposes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's when Ignatia comes back and, and kills your husband right. the day after you're married, yeah. the log lady and so forth, that it, it really takes on a different Well, moment. and I think it would have it would have had a different connotation had the Great Northern remained that that kind of... Um, Parallel to the... Yeah, to the, to the lodges or yeah. was more connected to the natural to the woods and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We've kind of lost a little bit of that yeah. connection. Yeah. Um, maybe this is uh, the director, uh, Uli Adele's attempt at, at bringing that back a yeah. little bit. But um, but anyway. But it also sets the mood for the, yes. the interaction. And that's, is, why, that's what I was saying, is, yeah. that, is that this, the candlelight that we see, it's, it's excessive. Yes. But it sets this romantic tone yes. that is subverted by the end of the conversation yeah. that Audrey and Bobby are having. So we, we kind of pan across the back of a, uh, like a console table behind it, or a sofa table behind a sofa in the Great, the great Northern Lobby, and it's Audrey and Bobby talking about Audrey's father. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and basically how Audrey's now in charge. Right. Uh, Bobby has to kiss her ass now. Yeah. And Audrey gives this kind of... Uh, so, metaphor yeah. of, of how her father is like he's a piece of ice and if he's held on too tight uh he'll turn into water and melt away and be completely useless to anybody yeah so uh their job is to keep him frozen i guess well no i i, I don't i think you're reading it maybe a little bit too literally yeah, she's i just, know i'm just saying yeah yeah like, what is what well, is the end of that metaphor she, yeah it's 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 the you have to handle him with care this has to yeah. be a, a careful thing but we've got to work together yeah and uh and I like that um, throughout the whole flirtation that, that Bobby and Audrey have been engaging with over the last few episodes, um, it hasn't been entirely clear if it was going to go in the direction of, of yeah. romance. Um, Audrey has always been, she toes that line. She yeah. crosses the line maybe a little bit, but she always pulls back and it always becomes more professional. And I love that in this scene, it's the same. Yeah. At the very end, she's like, you work for me. Like, yeah. this is... Well, and, and you want to get rich. And, yeah, and yeah. like, Bobby is very much in in business mode as well. So yes. it's almost like... But but he does ask, like, well, what about Shelly? He does. And she goes, what about Shelly? And it's an interesting way of, yeah. of delivering that line. Yeah. Well, not really. Because it's saying, like, well, I don't care about... Exactly. Shelly's your love interest. You guys go ahead and do exactly. that. I am not here for that. Right? Absolutely. I think on, on paper, it could have been... I don't know how much of that is. Yeah, that's true. Right? But yeah. it, it is... Uh, but I mean, look at where the scenes go next. Absolutely. It's pretty clear. Yeah. 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 Um, because we go there next. Yeah, we do. And and this is another great, scary horror movie kind of set. And I love that this is the... the that outside shot of the Johnson, Johnson house, house yeah. with that red filter over it yeah. that makes it look like the house is bleeding or it reminded me of The Shining or um, the Amityville horror with yeah. the walls dripping blood yeah, and yeah. stuff. But it also made it seem like there was, um, a, like, a glow from inside. Yeah. That. Yeah. Was kind of, and I and I yeah, I, it's I kept thinking yeah, yeah I yeah. kept thinking about the link between Leo's coming to, mm-hmm. and the owls that we saw outside. Yes. And and it made me wonder, and I don't know, Aiden, I wanted to ask you about this. Did you read this as a supernatural occurrence? Is Leo's ability to walk and talk and everything, is that interference from something supernatural that is... I wouldn't put it past that. It might be that they are more messengers. They're saying, like, I don't know, the owls come by, they see Leo's awake, and then they hoot and howl 
to let every, all the other spirits know. Like I'm not I'm not sure. I don't know. And yeah, we don't really know what There's the no, owls. Yeah, mean. we don't exactly. Like the owls are still am- ambiguous at this point, and I mean it, it could be. I mean I definitely wouldn't put it past. It. Well, the that's, fact what, that I, they that's are what I. That's what I. That's what I read it as, because I mean the way that Leo's character arc goes till the rest of till the end of the series kind of lends itself to that interpretation. A little bit, yeah. But I haven't heard it espoused by anybody well, else that I've read. There's, there's so. other things, though, because you have to wonder who's... Uh, like, things happen in the scene that don't make sense for Leo to do. Like, right. the, the wheelchair is moving yeah. kind of independently. You don't see anybody near... Like, you don't see Leo's feet behind it pushing right, him. Right, right. Or anything like that. So how is that moving? And, and, is that and the fact that, that he seems to be able to disappear and reappear, and yeah. it borrows from a lot of... Um, uh, slasher movies like scream yeah. or or earlier than that like the um from the 70s yeah halloween, halloween or, or yeah um in that like the 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 villains the bad guys in those movies were always kind of yeah i i yeah it's, maybe it, not supernatural no but, but they, they were, could do things that defied logic yeah. yeah so that's what that does but in a show like twin peaks and for a character like leo who hasn't had that yet hasn't had that he's not cooper he doesn't deal in dream logic like that's not where shelly and leo and bobby's stories have ever gone so for it to start going there now Now, with the owls with the the owls and then this redness being cast over it um yeah like it 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 did make me wonder if we're supposed to interpret this as something supernatural not odd but i mean the fact that leo's house the, the Johnson house is out in the woods. Like, right. it's right next to the woods. Is is always seemed just kind of like it was a way to isolate Shelley yeah. more than anything. Yeah. Uh, but now, yeah, it takes on a bit of that sinister tone of saying, Right, like, especially because, like, so, yeah, Leo goes through the house uh, terrorizing Shelley, but not outright killing her, which is... Well, he's going to try. He's going to try, but he doesn't He doesn't take the easy shot, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are a lot of moments in this, this very long and drawn-out scene where it would have been very easy for him to... Start hitting her. Yeah, Well, right? he, didn't, he has the soap in a, in a oh, sock yeah. again or whatever, yeah. and he just tosses oh, it at her. Oh, which is so creepy, yeah. right? The way he's leaning on the fridge and just dangling yeah. the, the yeah. soap in the sock, and it I'm just great. like... But it's then, such a hearkening it, back to the yes, evil that he used to be, yes. and then now there's just it's it's amped up to like because he's like right? I don't even need this like I'm and then he picks up an axe and or yeah to, well yeah exactly you know? right so um, but and here's the, something that does support the supernatural element yeah. is the fact that um, Bobby arrives to try yeah. and he's just going to see Shelly and then he hears Shelly screaming yeah. And he tries to, he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And a hand punches out. Leo right. punches out through the plastic wall. I think it's a glass Oh, did he break the glass? Yeah. Okay. Um, and he's reaching for Bobby. And then you cut back inside and Leo's nowhere near the window. No, exactly. It's, it's And I mean, it could just be terrible editing and continuity again, but it feels like when you're watching, you're like, oh my God, Leo's everywhere. Like he, yeah, can, he exactly. can dart back and forth. And that's the thing is that is that this house now all of a sudden is like Leo as a house. It's yes. like, yeah, it's yeah. everything. And it's the woods, and it's there's there's very little um, separating the two. Mm-hmm. Like it's well, plastic, plastic sheeting, yeah. right? And yeah. and Shelley cuts through the the plastic sheeting, which um, she ends up not being able to go through because Leo, who has been catatonic for a couple of weeks now, yeah. like has superhuman strength, like yeah. like Nadine, and can throw her across the room. Which again is just like yeah. well, yeah, anyway, and he can beat up Bobby. Who's yeah, been you know eating for the yeah last, like, exactly three weeks. more like, yeah. than baby food yeah, anyway yeah. right so um, it it did like yeah so the separation there and for Leo to to Shelley eventually stabs Leo in the leg 
To save Bobby. To save Bobby when Bobby is attacked by Leo with the axe. Yeah. And and again, Leo runs screaming into the woods like an animal, like yeah. a, like an injured animal. Yeah. The way that Shelley describes him the yes. first time yeah. when she shot him and glanced off his arm, like it it makes that link so crystal clear in my mind yeah. that he is he is more connected to the woods and to nature yeah. than he is to anything we, else yeah. human based in you the town. You think about how he was uh, even in the the third episode. Uh, the David Lynch one where uh, he met Bobby Mike and Bobby and the way he was in the woods and he was at again he just magically appears there yes he uh, he isn't concerned about the the, figure that whoever it is behind him yeah Yeah. I mean there's evidence there I mean they play Leo off as just like the abusive husband kind of bad guy but there might be far more to him well and that's why that's one of the things about like the these season two episodes don't offer a lot in especially in the last however many that things have really been bad. Yeah. Um, but this is an interesting character development that um, you can retcon it in a way that makes earlier episodes far creepier. Yeah. The same way that um, when you find out that Leland is the killer, you can yeah. read into previous, read whether that was intended or not, it doesn't matter. It's, it helps it works, you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, the 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 scene ends with with Bobby and Shelley reuniting yes. in this moment of catharsis, I guess. After I, I thought it was funny because there's the the image of the clown yes. from the decoration is literally behind them, so yeah. the clown is of Leo is behind them now because yeah. he was still in his clown getup. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of a sweet reunion. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's yeah sweet in the sense that like these two characters, they they kind of find their way back. Like it, it really does make trauma. It, yes, and it really makes the last like three episodes and all the drama between them and him and Audrey's will they won't they kind of thing mm-hmm. seem really stupid. Yeah, but no, it just makes it seem stupid. <laughs> I know that there's no really redeeming quality. I really don't get why they went through all this uh, if this was how Bobby and Shelley were gonna get back together anyway. So. Well, I, I guess it was it was just gonna be to illustrate. Shelley's isolation and the yeah, reemergence okay. of Leo as a villain. Sure, but I mean, she she was going to be at home at night anyways. So right, like she needed yeah. to quit her job. But but and... but the fact that Bobby might have left her and might never like she didn't know he was going to come back home. Yeah. She didn't know that any of this was was happening. Um, yeah. So it it kind of heightens the suspense a little bit for her. Yeah. Um. But anyway. Okay. Okay. Uh. So yes, back at the sheriff's station, this is now morning or or daytime anyway. Yeah. Um, both Cooper and Truman look like they haven't gotten a lot of sleep. Nope. Um, although I think Cooper's changed his shirt. You notice that? I did notice that. It's a different plaid shirt. Okay. Well, he probably uh, got blood on the one. That's from, what I'm thinking, yeah, right? Well, he, his his yeah, but but the crime scene is being cleaned up, and we get. Uh, there it's it's i i guess it's a little bit like an info dump yeah it is. it's just a scene that 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 goes to tell yes cooper was right they didn't find any fibers they didn't find any footprints um they also say that cooper explains what happened with the dea yeah and he's been all, cleared of his all charges, charges but the suspension still stands yeah um and then hank's been busted for a parole violation or he will be busted for a parole violation, but he's in the hospital right now. Because he got hit by a bus. Because he so. claims he's been hit by a bus. We remember that he was beat up by, by Nadine. 18. And this was one of those moments that Aiden and I both looked at each other again, and we were like, 
Because the, the, the characters kind of laugh at him. Exactly. Like, they know that Shelley, that Nadine beat him up. Yeah, and it's like, it's a, it's a non-diegetic? Is that, is that the, would you call it <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, I guess so. That it, yeah. it, it's an instance where the characters know something they really shouldn't, that the audience knows. Yeah. Um, but that they, they couldn't possibly know. Yeah. What actually happened. And and then, on top of that, why would they laugh about somebody being hit by a bus? Well, yeah, even no, if it is Hank, and even if it... Like, being hit by a bus isn't funny, inherently. Well, no, but they, they're they laughing because they need, they know Nadine. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, 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 so yeah. that's the only possible that way of interpreting yeah, exactly. that, that laughter. Yeah. So it, it, it struck an, a chord for me. I didn't like it, so... Yeah, um, no, it, was, it was just odd that they, there's no way they would know that, so... And then they also get that Shelley called... And yes, and Leo's on the loose. Yeah, yeah, Leo's on the loose, and so it's and and Cooper does say "holy holy smokes" yeah. or something like yeah. it's it's a big deal that all of this stuff is happening, um, and and even like in recapping it now, I'm like that is a lot to that have is a, yeah yeah for... especially because yeah the cops know nothing about any of these things yeah well they've been busy with their own <laughs> shit right I guess, so yeah. um so yes then we get uh, another scene in the lobby of uh, Andy talking to Lucy about. Nikki. Yeah. And he reveals that he and Dick think that Nikki is the devil. Well, that he's a murderer. Well, specifically yeah. they say that we think he murdered his parents and then Lucy like snaps his glove on him and yeah, says, well, I'm going to figure this out. He's nine years old. So she just, yeah, she's aghast that they would think this. And yeah, exactly. Then she's going to put an end to it. And to that storyline, which is, you know. Yeah. For the good. Yes. Yeah. Um, another storyline that's going to wrap up pretty soon and could not come not fast enough. enough is James and Evelyn. Yeah, so this, I actually kind of liked how this one started because it's a shot of a bunch of model cars on a... On a yeah, Aiden, you only like that because you like cars. Yes, and then it goes from uh, model cars to some car models in the actual garage. And it's, I don't know, I mean, like, I'm trying to find something positive to say and I kind of like the cars. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the best I'm going to come up with in this. Well, it's 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 a funny way. I think it was like somebody had a bunch of Jags and fancy cars, and they were like, "Hey, let's uh, let's film in this nice yeah. mock." Well, I'm sure, I'm sure the studio had them. Like, oh they yeah, just, they I'm just sure. Them. But it's, like, it's let's just... uh, let's drive those around Northern California. Yeah, <laughs> you put them in the, these woods or something, right? But anyway, but, yeah. it's uh, I I was wondering why James is still working on the Jag. Yeah, because he's because he's fixed. He said it, right? he just fixed it. So what is he doing there? And and yeah, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any all. sense at all. I think it it was literally just to set up what is going to happen. Yes, which further. is Jeffrey arrives. Jeffrey Marsh, Jeffrey who's Marsh, uh, Evelyn's husband. husband, comes in and they they chat about cars, but they're really talking about Evelyn. Yeah, they have a shared interest. It's bad. Yeah. Um, and then it's what's even worse is uh, James leaves, uh, and he the what's the hell's the guy's name Jeffrey. I just said it Jeffrey <laughs> uh, also leaves and then Evelyn has like an evil look in her face and then she hears tires squeal and a crash and you're like that, she, that's she, how you're going to tell the audience yeah. that this was her plan all along yeah was through an audio cue that yeah <laughs> like, an imaginary audio cue so I just it's yeah but I wanted to ask about this because it was the only thing every time I watch this I think this is the guy who's beating up his wife. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. He, he doesn't, doesn't seem, seem like a evil bad guy. At all. Yeah. yeah, he seems like he's you know a decent human being. Um, I mean, but but it, maybe that's the part that makes him evil. Yes. Is that he seems normal. Yeah, but and James knows otherwise. So James, like James's reaction to him, is even kind of odd. I mean, the whole yeah. thing is just so awkward because James and her have slept together. Right. And he feels bad about it, but mm-hmm. 
Like, that's the other thing that really bothers me. Why does James feel bad if she, if he hates the guy, you know, you're getting one over on him by sleeping right. out with his wife. Like, why would you feel bad about it if you don't like the man? Like, I don't... Whatever. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't parse I motivation it. a little bit here because it... it uh... Oh, God. Let's just move on. Well, let's move on. Um, back at the double R, I really like this scene because it, uh, yeah. it, it furthers a few different storylines, but in, in yeah. charming, yeah. charming ways. Yes. We get, um, Ed's Ed Hurley talking. and Doc Hayward yes. talking about Nadine. Um. Cause Nadine's asking for permission basically yeah, to, to date. start date. To dating, date yeah. other boys. Yeah. But, but Ed is concerned for the welfare of the boys. Yeah. She's sexually active. Active. Doc, I wake up every morning feeling like I've been hit by a timber truck. And, yeah, so Doc Hayward is like, well, yeah. Okay, just make sure she comes home at nine. And, I, and I love that it's it's these two people who, I mean, Doc Hayward, it must be in his 40s or 50s. And Ed is is probably in his mid-30s. Mid-30s, mid-30s maybe, yeah. Um, so, but they're, they're talking about... They're wards, I guess. Like, Doc yeah. Hayward is asking Ed about where Donna is yeah. gone. And Ed is talking about Nadine, who are both in the same grade now at Twin Peaks High School. So it's like two parents talking about their teenage daughters. And Doc Hayward is giving fatherly advice to Ed about his wife. It's just a funny little little yeah. scene. And the the way that, that Hayward kind of smirks and... Yeah. and and totally picks up on the flirtation between Ed and Norma yeah, when yeah, they come over yeah, and yeah. she gives them some extra hash browns, I think, or yeah, something. Yeah. Um, and the big smile that yeah. they both have, which we haven't seen ever on either of their faces. Um, it's it's kind of a charming little it is little scene. And then, yeah, Doc Hayward leaves and Norma and Ed chat for a bit and Ed explains what happened with Hank. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Norma doesn't know what happened to Hank. Right. Right. That like, was that was my question too. <laughs> he didn't well sense. he's not living at home, he lives at the diner, I guess. Yeah, so but I mean she's she there. She came to work that Right. Day she would wonder where there. he is. So Yeah. And like the police would have said, Oh, we've arrested him and he's in the hospital. Like someone would have contacted I'm her. Sure. I'm sure that's her next contact. Anyways. Um yeah, but then Norma basically says, like, you know what, I want to go for it. I don't care who knows about mm-hmm. us or anything. And Ed kind of agrees. And it's, it's he really... He says they want to rent a cabin and yeah. get some venison steaks and sparkling sparkling, sparkling wine. wine yeah. Which is, it's cute. It's a very Ed thing to say. Yeah, exactly. That that, this, is, this is his is, grand romantic yeah, gesture. Yeah. And, but, but Norma loves and it. And Norma loves it. Yeah. And it's great. And I want to see them. they're made for each other. Yeah. OTP. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, back to James. Yeah. So, Damn. so James, presumably very soon after Jeffrey has left, go maybe immediately after, has gone up to his room and is packing his things. And Evelyn comes in and begs him to stay. And that's it. That's it. That's basically that's it. That's the whole scene. It, there's the weirdest, stupidest thing for me is that there's a sports yeah, on TV. Is it, is it baseball? I think it's basketball. I thought it was basketball, but then I'm like, no, it's, but it's March. Yeah, basketball. Yeah, basketball. Yeah, there wouldn't be. It wouldn't. There wouldn't yeah, be baseball. Too early yeah. for baseball. So, so yeah, it's it's probably a basketball game. But it's it's odd for me because it's the first time that we've heard like I do, people in Twin Peaks don't have radios. Like the, I just feel like they're so isolated. They don't have any connection to the outside yeah. world. Except for Invitation to Love, they don't have any TV either. Right. Like, exactly. Just... We talked about that in an earlier episode that it seems like this is a very isolated place. Um, with regard to like the Norwegians and yeah, yeah. 
Shelley's desperation to watch the news yeah. in like this the the pilot I think yeah it was even. the pilot yeah um and now here James is not only is he existing like he's he's carrying on with this life outside of Twin Peaks which I'm frankly don't believe there is life outside of nope. Twin Peaks at this point no it's but, not a Truman Show um yeah but uh but he's listening to a basketball game. Yeah. On the radio, I'm like. I thought it was on TV. I oh, it could have been TV, on TV, but, yeah, but that we, even that's even weirder, yeah. right? And especially because A. James doesn't seem like the jock type who no, would listen to. Of course not. Watch a, a sporting event. Plus, usually when there's something on in the background of Twin Peaks, that they've you know they they do it for a reason. Yeah, it's it's invitation to love in the background, or yeah. it's it's the music. It's the yeah. The, what's the word for that when the the music appears on diegetic? Diegetic. Thank diegetic you. Diegetic music. Already just thought of it. Um, you know, usually it's that way. Yeah. Um, and it's to great effect. Right. Here, this is just background. It is literally. It's like, oh well, James should be watching something while he packs to right, leave. But it doesn't have any secondary meaning. Nothing. It, like it is totally nothing useless. that I can think of. Anyway. It was distracting because we had the subtitles on again right. while we were watching this. I'm right. just reading all this. What. Why the sports I, does this matter? Like, yeah. does any of this matter? No, yeah. I don't think it did. No. I mean, maybe correct us if I'm wrong. If they were talking about a rebound or something like that, and right. James is on his rebound, a now, great or, shot or something. Yeah, yeah. At one point, they say great shot, which and, doesn't fit at all with no, what we're what's what happening we're in the scene. It's a miss, if anything. Um, yes, maybe they were trying to influence our opinion. But then, but then, is is this the scene where he he storms off and he's like, "I'm going to go fix my bike." Yes, that and, is. And he's like a toddler. And he is. Just, he's like a little kid. I think that you said that when, when we were watching it. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. It's the, the sports event adds nothing to the scene except to reiterate that James is a little kid and he should probably be out playing games and not trying to have sex with a middle-aged woman. Ah. That's it. Well. Maybe. But that's as, a stretch. It's, it's as good an explanation as any. I guess. And it's the only one we have. Uh, sorry, so, I said screwing middle-aged trophy wives. That was my exact <laughs> quote. Sorry. Um, you call Evelyn a trophy wife? Yeah. Really? What does she do? I don't know. She, she describes herself as a trophy wife. She says, like, he has to have all the best things, and he doesn't let anything touch them or dirty them or whatever, right? She's talking about herself. That was no, no, no. Okay, yeah, I get that. I'm just like, so, yeah. her? Well, I know. Some guys have weird taste, but... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, we get um, back to the sheriff's station, and Cooper is looking at a chessboard, and Truman comes in and wants to know everything. Yes, and, and it's and another info dump kind. It of. is, but it, it serves a, a greater purpose, I think, because it does further along Cooper's story and um, really underlines what what I think he started going through in the previous episode, and maybe what started when as soon as he lost his. Um, position with the FBI I think his um, there's like his baggage he calls it his baggage that he's brought to town is something that's deeply traumatic to him and and with Cooper being the central figure I mean we talked we've talked a lot about Laura and Laura's trauma and how that influences the show and now with that kind of resolved Cooper now comes in and it's his backstory and it's discovering who this cooper character is yeah who we don't really know anything no, about outside of yeah outside of what we've what we've seen him do in twin peaks we don't really know much of anything um and it's 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 an odd scene for a couple of reasons i think but 
let's let's go through what what he actually tells Truman. So yeah, so he tells says that um, yeah he fell in love with a woman named Caroline. Yeah. Who uh, was a material witness and found, basically rehashing what he's told Audrey. Yeah. And there was a weird shot in there of like Carolyn superimposed yes. in like a like an eighties mall photo yeah. type of thing. Very was, glamour shot. Yeah, it yeah. was odd. Basically said that she died. Um, because uh, he failed. fell in love with her and failed in his vigilance to which is exactly what he told Audrey, but this is this is more more information that he gives to Truman yes, after, after this. Yeah, so he says that Wyndham Earl uh, was institutionalized, and that Cooper thinks that Wyndham Earl was actually the one who killed Caroline because, because Caroline yeah. is his wife. Yes. Was his wife. Was yeah. so Cooper fell in love with his partner's wife and yeah. carried on an affair, and he thinks that this is what drove Wyndham Earl insane. Yeah. Um, or that perhaps he wasn't even insane, and that he's, he's faked this and this whole time right. to avoid, you know. I don't know. Does he say why, really? No, I don't think so. I think it's <laughs> just, you know. But it, but at some point, he does say, at some point, he probably lost the ability to distinguish between whether he was insane or, yes. or sane anymore. Yeah. Um, and he has that great line. Harry, Wyndham Earl's mind is like a diamond. It's cold and hard and brilliant. I think he feigned the insanity that sent him away. But at some point, he lost the ability to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. Um, and and the, the fact that he doesn't, that Truman doesn't know what Wyndham Earl is capable of. Yes. But Cooper does. Yeah. Because, because Cooper was injured. He almost died himself. Um, he was stabbed. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a kind of a chilling recounting of this story that we previously heard but didn't hear in this this yeah. level of detail well we didn't understand the personal dynamics right. of it being exactly because yeah. he didn't he didn't share this with audrey for good reason i mean this is the kind of thing you don't tell someone well but i mean okay just you to, would you would yes. you would share it with a police officer but your your partner yeah yeah you know yes, you wouldn't share it with just I mean, some yeah. civilian i guess i mean audrey was his partner for the first season. i guess anyway, right and but, plus he said the whole thing about I don't have any secrets. Secrets are dangerous, yes. but he kept them. He definitely does have secrets, but but yeah. that's another yeah. issue altogether. Yeah, we'll get there, yeah. Um, so, and he also talks about the chess game that, that he, yes. and, he and Wyndham Earl used to play every day for three years. And Cooper never um, won. Cooper never won, which is now... Takes what, on more meaning. Much yeah. more meaning because we've seen that he's... Uh, Cooper and Wyndham Earl are engaged in in a very real chess game with very real stakes, and someone has already died from it. So, um, so in some sense, this is a, a very strong and powerful moment for Cooper to, you know, it's, it it harkens back to that Cooper and Truman have this relationship that's very strong, and he can share these things. He has to share them, but yeah. but he's comfortable enough to share them. Um, but, and, and, and it underlines the, 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 well, the baggage that he has and, and, um, and it it kind of hints like the, the, the trauma that it, it makes you rethink about the scene in Dead Dog Farm where Cooper is accused by Jean Reno of bringing all of this evil with him. Like Cooper must already feel responsible for a lot. He feels responsible for Caroline's death. Certainly. Yeah. Maybe he feels responsible for Wyndham Earl going insane. Well, and and even uh, Gordon Cole had brought 
had connected the two earlier. Remember yeah, when yeah, yeah, exactly. Remember said, this feels like Pittsburgh yeah, all over again. You're exactly. losing control. And Cooper was adamantly against it, saying, exactly. well, no, this is And now all of a sudden, these things are spiraling out of his control again. completely. Yeah. So there's a certain level of culpability that I think Cooper feels. And that would weigh very heavily on someone like him. I think that that would hurt him deeply mm-hmm. and uh, and would be great motivation for him to to not only uh, apprehend Wyndham Earl, but to to restore the town to the state that it was in before he arrived. Yeah. I think that would be a great motivating drive for him. Yeah. What I didn't like about it, honestly, was seeing Caroline. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it makes no sense to introduce her visually at this point. No, and... and like, she's such a strong presence as yes. just the wife. I mean... The next time we see Caroline, correct me if I'm wrong, is the final episode. Correct? Yes, it is. And that was a great introduction. Absolutely. Because when I saw her there, I was like, wow, this is... Right. This, you can feel, because it, it hits all, it hits Cooper right in the heart when yeah. he sees her. Um, and this is just like... Well, and what why? it almost what it almost feels like to me is um, it reminds me a lot of the way that Laura is presented in season one yeah. as just an image. Yeah. But Caroline doesn't have the the presence that Laura had. She has no connection to Twin Peaks. Nobody cares about her. Nobody yeah. knows anything about her. And the fact that it's a moving image, it's not just a still picture, but like there's wind blowing your hair. And it is such a... Bad, I, I, I was rereading... Bad visual? Bad? Yeah. That's it's, the word it's you're not, for. It's not good. <laughs> I was reading my blog that I, that I wrote a few years yeah. ago. Um, and I described it there... Um, and, and my distaste for this has not changed one <laughs> iota in seven years. But, um, but what, I, what I thought when I saw it was that it, it, it again, I was like, her? <laughs> like, like, seeing her presented, and yeah. she's not like a, a, she's an attractive woman, yeah. but she's no like striking, well, angelic beauty. She's not like yeah, okay, but I captivating. Didn't... I just, I just think it's, it's, this is not a criticism of her looks. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a misogynistic attack on, yeah. on Caroline. I know, I know. It's just that if you're going to show someone who has this presence without being seen, she'd better be like, like drop like, dead. Like, well, like, like like Botticelli brought her to life. You know, she should be the Venus de Milo, and and I feel see, like I, showing her and yeah. and having her with like very stereotypical eighties hair and the and the glamour shot. It cements it too much in reality, and I feel like she needed to be more ethereal. And it would have been more along those lines if they'd never shown her until the very end. Yes, no, or at all, right? We, but, yeah, we agree on that. But I think. To me, it's 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 interesting that you get this shot of uh, someone who both Cooper and Wyndham Earl fell in love with, mm. and so I feel like I don't want her to be a, a, an amazing beauty because I want her to have a personality that could attract two geniuses. Oh yeah, okay. And, and so I, I don't ascribe that to, to Botticelli-esque women. Like usually they're just good looking, and that's kind of the end of it. You know. Okay, and, and I, so, see and so I see your point. And so seeing this is like seeing her eventually and realizing who it was is that. This was this was a real attraction, like like Cooper says, someone that he has genuine affection for mm-hmm. uh, when he has been shot. That's the kind of woman that that he's going to go for, not just like not no a offense dime to, store beauty. Well, yeah, and no offense to Audrey Horn because she's drop dead gorgeous and mm-hmm. she is great, but she's you know she's a little young for Cooper. Mm-hmm. She does she. There's no way she can have that that pull to him uh, the way that Caroline could. Um, obviously, you disagree. No, uh, no, no, no. I I well I. 
I do, yeah, but you, yeah. I, I, I know where you're coming <laughs> yeah. from. And I think that um, I still feel like seeing her as this archetypal blonde woman, maybe it's because TV and, and Hollywood have, have warped, warped me. And I, I can't imagine someone that looks like that being the type of person who would captivate someone like Cooper. Yeah. I don't like I, I and I think it just it would have been so much more powerful if we just had never seen her. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the fact that like the shot is just kind of like a throwaway thing. Like I was paying attention to Cooper. And I'm like, what is that floaty thing? And yeah, and it's it black gone. and white and, yeah. and it's there and then it's gone and yeah, it's not it really necessary. No it, like, it's it's a questionable choice on yeah. the part of the director. But I wonder if it was in the script. Like I, yeah, I really I would like to read it and yeah, find out. Yeah. But OK. Uh, anyways, let's. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> Yeah, we do. Uh, we got to go back to Wally's. Yeah. So Donna arrives at Wally's to yes. drop off the money for James. Yeah, all 12 bucks of it. <laughs> I love that. I still um, love it every time. She asks the bartender about James, and the bartender looks at Evelyn. Yeah, because Evelyn's there. Well, yeah, of Evelyn course. is there. Of course she's the there. Fi- <laughs> um, and I, But I thought it was interesting that the bartender and Evelyn seem to have some kind of an understanding. Yeah. And it, well, it's yeah, never I mean, explored. She's, she's but, the local drunk, probably. So she well, just, she's probably the, his best customer. Yeah, but how would he know to to look to her about? Well, because he knows who James was. He met James when he arrived for a beer, sure, right? and he'd probably heard through the grapevine and stuff. You know, James okay. is staying there. But anyways, yeah, no, it is weird. Evelyn Evelyn comes up to Donna and and lies through her teeth about says that James is going to Mexico and he's never going to come back, and you can yeah. just take your money and go. Yeah, go back to the town that you came from, and and Donna is is I don't know if she's hurt. She doesn't well, really seem I, yeah, to be much know. of anything. I don't know. She, she, she Obviously, she doesn't believe Evelyn. <laughs> that's a great exception. <laughs> yeah, that's a great <laughs> description. I don't know if she's um, much of anything. Um, but but yeah. we get um, the the Just You and I comes back. Yes, because we come back to James. We do. And he's crying. In, 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 next, to his bike, next to his bike in the garage uh, at Evelyn's house. And he and just collapses. And yeah, just, it's so overwrought and... And this is just this is just a bad soap opera now. Well, it's always it been was a bad always bad. It opera, always but... was, but this was this is the low. Okay, well, really, no. the whole thing has been the whole pretty thing low. is really low. But the fact that they drive back just you, yeah. which is pretty much a low point for a lot of people in this series. And I <laughs> not gonna sing it as much as I want to. Uh, so yeah, thankfully yeah. that scene ends, and then it goes to commercial. And yep. then you come back, and it is Ben on the battlefield. Yes! And this... Okay, so so I still really like this, and I like it even more in this scene, because we get Richard Boehmer and Russ Tamblyn... Yes, back together. Back together. Yeah. And it's, it's and so... And they start singing together. They do. They all but yeah, them, yeah. Um, <laughs> we get... Uh, so it's it's even more elaborate than, yeah, than what it was before. He's got... Uh, like, the whole office is taken up by this and there's like hills and mounds yeah, of yeah. dirt and stuff to yeah. add yeah and uh and uh audrey arrives with uncle jerry yeah who ben refers to as jeb stewart colonel jeb stewart general I think. Jeb. general jeb yeah. anyone anyway, yeah one of them whoever yeah. uh a, a confederate leader i'm guessing um jacoby is sitting up in like a tennis referee's chair yeah. in the corner of the room just observing yeah, like just watching and, taking yeah, notes he's like oh i'm gonna write a book he's on marching this. on like, washington like this is it's He's just fascinated by this whole break that that Ben Horn has had with reality, and he explains that the whole thing is that um, 
he's that, that trying to, to reverse yeah. the Confederate loss in order to reverse his own psychological, psychological setback. setback. Yeah. Um, and he tells them what he needs is your understanding and a Confederate victory. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's so funny. And yeah. then, and then like Audrey and Jerry are, you know, obviously concerned. Yeah. Jacoby doesn't seem to give a shit one way or well, like, except like, in uh, as yeah. far as, as he wants this to resolve itself. So he could probably write a book about it. Yeah. Um, and there's this great, the great ending scene. That well, I wait, just first, love. first oh. is a band. He he starts marching. He has a Confederate flag. That's what I was going to talk about. He turns on the fan. Yes, so that the fan blows the flag, the flag like he's out on a battlefield. The and Confederate yeah. flag, <laughs> yes. which has so much negative cachet right now. Yeah, well, but always it always <laughs> has, but I think it's even worse now. In I don't, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I was we're, five. We're, yeah, when this episode yes. aired, so we're I have Canadian, no idea. So we we really yes. Don't. But it's I can't imagine that it's ever been a positive yes. symbol but he, in the North anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he starts giving the Henry V speech about uh, yes. we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. Yes, which, then, is such yeah. a, which is such a departure from what a, a Civil War general... It's still Ben Horn coming through. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, but he he imagines himself as the Shakespearean character because this yeah. is not the first time that he's given a Shakespearean line. Oh, he quotes line. Shakespeare all the time. All the time. Yeah. So he really does see himself still. Yeah. Even at his at his low, Most as psychotic this, like he sees history. himself as Henry V. Yeah. And I think that's hilarious because yeah. then he and Jacoby start singing, "I wish I were in Dixie." You know. Yeah. What's the name of the song? Do you know it? I don't know the name of the song. It's the Dixielands. Yeah, yeah. I don't, we'll yeah. we'll put the we'll put it in the comments. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, and it's then, it's uh, it's great. I mean, it's great because uh, who starts singing it is actually Jacoby. Jacoby starts, starts singing it, and then and yeah, then just, just starts like, marching. Yeah, and they, we're gonna do it, and yeah, they start singing, and then the song continues playing as a shot of the the falls yeah. from the Great Northern passes by, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was just great. Like they're they're really howling it out there, but yeah, so. I really, I, I love that scene. I love the Confederate. I yeah, I think it's, it's I think so it's stupid. interesting. As problematic as it is, I still think it's 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 a fun scene yeah. to watch and, play out. And the way that uh, Ben descended into this kind of chaos mm-hmm. and mental space, yeah, feels really well earned to me. Like he yeah. he was you know he really did go through a lot of crap oh, yeah. stuff for, yeah. for him. Um, yeah. The thing that interrupts it was the whole stuff with Catherine because Catherine came back right and. They, I don't know, probably did it or something like that in his <laughs> office. And yet he's right back here the next scene. Right. He's still sick. And yeah, I don't, I don't really see the connection why Catherine had to come back and do that. Scene. Yeah, but anyway. especially at this point. Like, anyways. That's the last episode. Yep. Let's, this episode. Let's move on. This episode we are moving on to... Well, uh, the sheriff's station again. Yes. And Major Briggs arriving and collapsing in the, um, the lobby. And why does he collapse? Because right away they cut to uh, them, the him, Truman, and Cooper are just drinking glasses of water. Yeah, just heaping gulps of, of water, which I thought was funny that it's water. It's not coffee. Yeah, it's not coffee. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's also a basic elemental yeah, yeah, force that yeah. ca- counteracts fire. fire. Yeah. But anyway. Well, and it feels like, yeah, it seems like, Major Briggs is maybe just overheated or something like that. Like well, he has, well, and that that yeah, it's never so, explained. Like they just start talking. They just pick up the conversation. Yeah, kind so of was where he drugged off. or was there? Was he exhausted from some great exertion of energy that he? Because the last we saw him was in the previous episode where he left with the the Air Force officers for the debrief after his disappearance. Um, 
and it is never explained what happened to him or why he came back. No. I think it's hinted at that he left of, of his own accord because he does say that he... The Air Force, I thought, was not unlike other societies of men dedicated to the fight for the good. Gentlemen, frankly, I'm worried. When my superiors questioned me about my disappearance, they exhibited a degree of suspicion and intolerance bordering on the paranoia. I must now admit that their motivation in the search for the White Lodge is not ideologically pure. Um, and that there's much trouble ahead. Um, so I, I get the sense that they're, like, he's he's made a choice now not to ally himself with yeah, the this government ins- yeah. institution that we, in the last episode, he, he hinted at that maybe he, he wasn't, aligned with them anyway and now this has just cemented his result yeah, because he says that they were um they were really paranoid and and when yeah. they were asking about the white lodge and he says that that's where he believes he went right when he was, exactly went missing exactly um, and they basically want to know what it is and they yeah so basically they're looking into the white lodge but now that he's he suspects that he's been there i think he feels unsafe with with that with, with that them yeah. yeah exactly like and and that motivates him to come back and but then to yeah, I mean, I, I've I haven't been listening to the other uh, recap podcasts because I didn't want to have anything Spoiled. kind of infect yeah, our um, discussion of this. But I did listen to the the fantastic people over at the Diane podcast, and they talking about um, uh, fire the fire within mm-hmm. and how the the drinking of the water. It's actually really great. Uh, segment. I encourage you all to go listen to it because it is really fun. They spend a lot of time talking about this water drinking scene. Um, but but is there something to that that now? Because we we've talked about food being uh, a drive, a basic drive mm-hmm. for Ben and Jerry, and um, coffee being like everybody has a vice, everybody has an excess, yes. and here the excess is water, yeah. which is not something that you think about as being something you can consume in excess. But of course, too much water will kill you. Yeah. Um, but but in an episode that deals so much in fire and yeah. in a town that is so consumed yeah, by fire, by fire yeah. um, to have these characters gulping down massive quantities of water does seem to be pregnant with meaning. Mm-hmm. Does it not? Yes. I don't know what that meaning is, but yes, definitely. Well, it, and I, think there... it's, I think the fact that it's Major Briggs, I mean... His vice is water. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. he is the purest character. Mm-hmm. By far, I mean, even more so than Cooper, based on what we know about Cooper now. Yeah. The yeah. fact that he, you know, was cheating on his partner uh, with his partner's wife. Like, yeah. that's that's not an ideologically pure move either, right? No, of right? course not. So Cooper's being cast into this this role that is not um, not what we initially started with. Right. Cooper was the pure Well, he's complicated. He's exactly. complicated. I exactly. Mean. And, and, and Briggs is not. Briggs is a man who needs water. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know and he, he won't even do coffee. And he's staying on that pure path by divorcing himself yes. from this organization that is unpure. Exactly, it is impure. He, yeah, and he, he's even willing to go out into the shadows, which is how he leaves yes, the scene. Yes, exactly. Saying, I'll be out doing my own research in the shadows. I will be in the shadows. Yeah, if it's you need, a, it's you call such on an me, interesting like, way of him for him to describe this because because it suddenly feels like um, it's conspiratorial, but in a in a in a helpful way, I guess. Yeah. Although m- most people who are involved in conspiracies all think that they're doing the yeah, right they're thing doing anyway. The right thing, yeah, but yeah. but I really do believe that this is motivated by by 
something much purer than anything yeah. else that that we've seen from any other yeah. government organization. Well, anybody in the show. Yeah. Really. I mean, yeah, and, that, and that's that's really the interesting thing is that they, they turn Major Briggs into a major character. He yeah. started off as just the mean dad who slapped Bobby across right. the face for Yeah, smoking. he's definitely had some character development yeah. ever since the dream that he, or the vision that he yes. had. Yeah, he was a season two turnaround character yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, although there were points in season one where he really did seem to care about Bobby and stuff. Like, sure. I think of all the characters who had major shifts, um, his feels probably the best. Uh, like major, major shifts. Like obviously. Yeah, well, it is the biggest one that, that plays yeah. a, such a huge role in this, yeah. in this season. So it does make a lot of sense, yeah. but, but yeah, it's uh it's a, it's an interesting scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the very next scene is so ridiculous uh, and just... I really don't know how to approach it because yeah. we get Jacoby who says that he's spent the last 24 hours with Lana. Which we know isn't Milford. true because he was just with He was just ben. with Ben. Let's so assume it was 24 hours earlier. Yeah. And uh, and the implication is that... No, they... no, it's not an implication. He says her her only problem is that she has a heightened sexual appetite okay. and so, blah, blah, so blah. So they spent 24 hours screwing. You think, yes. And he hasn't died. Therefore, she's not a therefore murderer. Therefore, she's not a murderer. Okay. I, and then it's... Uh, the scene is just so... This is... Like, Lana is a bad character, and the way they treat her is really bad. Cooper congratulates her. Okay, but I, I kind of like that it makes sense that he would do that, though. Why? Because he's just like... Congratulations, you're amazing at sex? Like, that's... Well, he would be happy for her, I think. <laughs> I, I get, yeah, but the way he's looking at her is like... I know, oh, and then it is it is Lex. kind of subverted mm. in, in the next scene, because it I he delivers the line, Kyle delivers the line with, like, the same kind of golly g willikers like what kind of fantastic trees are these um but in the very next like as soon as lana leaves he he like wolf whistles and yeah yeah and he's like is it hot in here yeah yeah it's like yeah i mean she's literally just a sex object oh totally yeah and it it is it is really bothersome to me that she's she's yeah um she's coded as a witch Yes. And as a sexual deviant. Predator, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like well, she, Predator she, in, by Dwayne Milford. Yeah, no, yeah. that she's murdered his brother. Yeah. And then uh, um, a deviant by the That's men true. who are objectifying yeah. her and can Wouldn't only imagine... her deviancy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because she has these skills and, yeah. and whatnot that... It's it's just so overwrought and yeah, overblown. I just can't stand Dr. Jacoby's like <laughs> what psychiatrist would give that oh, analysis like Well, yeah, I mean, I think that ugh. you know, I was uh, I, it, And then they say he says they're going bowling and him and Lana walk out. Yeah, to uh, be met with Dwayne Milford yes, with a rifle with a, in the a lobby. Shotgun or something. Right, yeah, it's in, a gun. It, it's a shotgun. It's a big gun, yeah. <laughs> in the, I it would have been funnier if it had been a musket cuz I would yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that much like, more than Yeah. Dwayne Milford definitely has a musket in yeah. his mayor's office, but um, uh, he carries it around at civic festivals, <laughs> yeah. and marches in the, the, you know. Well, he has it from, you know. First of July, or first yeah. of July, fourth of July parade. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, he uh, he says he's going to kill her, and he doesn't want anybody else around them to make any move or. We'll just... Don't anybody move. Mr. Mayor, put the gun down. Anybody that moves, I'll blast her into kingdom come. And the 
Yippee too. And Cooper Coopers. diffuses the situation in the worst possible way. Like, there's no way that this is... Okay, well, no. It doesn't make any sense. No, it's, I mean, sure, you'd want to be like, why don't you guys just talk about it? You know, stop but, the threats. But give me yeah. the shotgun. Exactly. That's like, the thing. Don't let him in the sense. room. Because he says, he just, like, Dwayne right and by. Lana go into the conference room together. And Dwayne still has the gun. And he's literally just been threatening her. Lana goes willingly. Like, and then, and then. The, yeah, I it, couldn't believe that. That yeah, was just it's, so bad. it's so bad. And then um, this scene, I was actually reading in preparation for this episode. I was reading a section from Brad Dukes' book, um, Reflections, the Oral History of Twin Peaks. And uh, and this this part was improvised where um, initially it was going to cut to commercial break with the the cops with their guns drawn waiting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And instead, um, Cooper delivers the line like they all look to him yeah, for like, guidance. What like, what next? do we do now? And then the commercial break goes and they come back and they're still waiting. Yeah. And it actually is kind of funny when you when yeah. you think about that, because the commercial break would have been what, like two and a half, three minutes long. Maybe not yeah, quite yeah, that long, but like that, yeah. but it's it's a fairly long period of time. Yeah. When you're watching it on DVD or Blu-ray, yeah, the fact that it passes quickly is almost it, funnier. It is like, because oh, it's like yeah, they when waited. they go into the room and they discover that Lana has, you know, Dwayne has got lipstick, lipstick marks all over his face, and they're deciding to adopt a child together. <laughs> um, it it's so ridiculous. It's also ridiculous that they go in with their guns drawn, like they kick yes, in the door again, and they're yes. like, "Well, if he, he was going to kill her, you." Should have taken the gun yeah, away. Like, exactly. What the like fuck? it doesn't. It does not make any sense. And this is not. I mean, this in is the this... German expressionism coming through because this. Yeah. This it, make... it makes no sense in a dream logic sense. No. It makes no sense in a sense. normal realist logic sense. It's just very dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. This whole scene is dumb. But anyways, uh, Lana takes them away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're gonna go have a. Kid. Maybe they're gonna go have go bowling instead. Yeah. Jacoby doesn't seem all that concerned. No, like, that's the thing. Like, he just spent 24 hours boning this amazing sex object. Yeah, and yeah. then he's like, oh, well, yeah. Now the mayor's got her. Good yeah, for him. Like, yeah, exactly. Makes no sense. And then they, they all, all need a drink. They all need a drink. Go back and have some more water. Let's continue. You need to, you need to yes. cool yourselves Major off. Major Briggs needed to be in this scene. He would have just had a nice talk with Lana. And <laughs> Set her developed on. her character a little bit, yeah. maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. Instead, we have her treated like a sex doll. Yes. Anyway, um... Uh, okay, so we go from the sheriff station to the Blue Pine Lodge, and this is um, one of the the most jarring instances of uh, a cut and music being employed, and it, it's because it's not it's it's the probably the first and only time, if I'm not mistaken, that a a song is played that is not composed by Angelo Badalamenti. It is the uh, Concerto for Piano and Orchestra in A Minor, Opus 1 by Edvard Grieg. And it's... Um, How's this first opus? Well... Oh. That's really impressive, that's all. <laughs> Cause it's quite... No, no, sorry, 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 sorry. Okay. Opus 16. Okay, all right. It is... Uh, it's the Concerto for Piano and Orchestra in A Minor, Opus 16 by um, Edvard Grieg, the uh, Norwegian composer. Okay. And... It's loud, first of all. Yes, it's very it's, loud. It's very un-Twin Peaks. Yes. But it does serve as a very effective introduction to, um, I guess, the closest thing that Twin Peaks has to royalty. Yeah, yeah, I right? suppose so, yeah. The Packard-Martell clan. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
because I, I imagine that somebody like the Horns are more new money, and the Packards and like Catherine Martell seems she carries herself with a dignified oh, yeah. air, and and Brother Andrew has this this you know aristocratic accent. So um, it's it's clear that they're making some kind of a connection here. It's an odd connection though. I, I feel like music is used so effectively in Twin Peaks when it's unobtrusive yeah. and. Yeah, and here it's so it's overbearing, in your face. and and the visuals that go along with it are yeah. very in your face too. Uh, it's a bunch of totem poles, right? Which are around the Blue Pine Lodge, presumably. Yeah, um, which we've never seen before that I can remember. No, I, I, I think we have in, in the Great Northern. Yes, there are uh, totemic, sort of. To- totem light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, that, they're the kind of totem poles that you see in like touristy totem poles, yeah, right? Exactly. They're not they're not connected to the land and and Yeah, I, I again, we don't know. We really should do more research on what kind of First Nations would be in this well, ra- neighborhood, it's but Coast Salish um Yeah. Well, and, those would be on the, on, on the, the actual coast, coast which is where this the is... Blue Pine Lodge exists in real life. So I don't know if these are uh, if these are um yeah, shots, shots from, from actually, the original yeah. or if they were but I mean, totem poles, and and I I only know this because the high school that I went to in Edmonton, um, was had a, a totem pole that was ceremonious, delivered from the west coast. It was sitting on our front lawn. Our rival school used to try and chop it down, so they had to reinforce the center with steel. It was a big deal, right? Yeah. We were the Rochep T Birds, and there's a Thunderbird at the top of the. That was our our. Yeah our team logo so um the idea behind totem poles was that they would tell stories and they would be very deeply connected to um uh symbolic uh the legends and the the myths of the people that created them i don't know what these totem poles would necessarily represent for the packards and martels but the fact that they have them indicates and like you said presumably these are at their lodge and there's a couple of them Mm -hmm. so the fact that these exist there Either they predate the Martell's acquisition yes. of the land, in or which case were, this yeah. is this is a, a colonial, colonialization reference of, of the this aristocratic these people who would listen to Edvard Grieg yeah, coming, coming into the in land of the First Nations yeah. people, or they've earned these totem poles because it's a, a totem pole is like a lot of imagery from First Nations peoples is not something that you can just take and and yeah. make your own it yeah, has to be given good, yeah. it has to be I, earned yeah i would think right? it's more of the cologne colonization that's how i view it as because, well well based on the music alone but also the fact that they own a sawmill and their whole mm-hmm. purpose is to destroy trees right. without any thought of culture being transmitted right them. they're not taking these trees down to carve totem poles no, out of them no, they're, they're taking them to them turn them into plywood. the great northern yeah exactly um, um yeah so and then also the fact that uh, this is the first scene where um, it, it. This is the scene where Catherine reveals to Pete that Andrew is still alive, and we get this kind of cutesy little reunion yeah. between these three. Who, um, I guess, probably would have been. Well, yeah. I mean, they, obviously, they were they were family. Yeah, like, exactly. Pete married into the family, yeah. but yeah, he's and it. and he's very accepting of the fact that he was left out of the loop. Um, we get some kind of creepy brother sister incest stuff going on yeah, between just the way Catherine, Catherine and Andrew, and, and doting on him, which doesn't really, I don't think, implies that they are romantically involved in any way. I think it's yeah. more just that 
they 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 have an understanding of well, each other. Well, they have like a really close bond. Yes, like, these are not people who someone's going to be able to get in between. Well, them. They, and and they're they've both faked their deaths, and yeah. they they both have put up yes. elaborate ruses to conceal their deaths, yeah. um, in order to uh, affect a business. A, a, a beneficial business transaction for themselves. Yeah. And that's what's revealed here is that Andrew Andrew talks about his former business partner, Thomas Eckhart, who he knew from Hong Kong because they, they made a great team because Eckhart knew Hong Kong and Andrew knew England, and yeah. they were able to navigate between these two places. And Josie was, I think how he describes it, uh, Andrew bested Eckhart in a piece of business. Yes, which is Josie. Which is Josie. And that in itself feels colonial, yeah. right? It's well, it's yeah. these two the white men color, who right? are battling over a, a, uh, an Asian jewel. woman. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. And so it it feels, yeah, I think you're right in the, the reading of the totem poles being a colonial thing because yeah. that's how this whole scene I mean, feels yeah, very... Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the whole the whole idea they they talk about how they're hoping that in this plan that Eckhart will come for Josie. Josie is um, like Audrey for Cooper is the bait in this trap. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the trap really entails at this point. No, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Really we haven't we haven't gone that far yet, but But yeah. But, but yeah, the very in. the very next scene introduces Eckhart very effectively, I should say. I think so, yeah. Um it also introduces the uh, the actress <laughs> oh, that Aiden and I can only can only imagine her as as from Seinfeld the character yeah. from Seinfeld and she was the heiress to the O Henry Candy Bar fortune who refused to wear a bra yes um, uh, so that's all I can see when I see Brenda Strong yeah. on is that, screen is that the that's actress? her name yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so anyway so she's true. checking into the Great Northern and we get another person of color we get uh, the concierge yes yes so maybe Twin Peaks is is it's, diversifying its oh, its uh, population yes, a little bit slowly. Slowly and Being painfully. Very, very white. Extremely white. Um, uh, but but yeah, anyway. and then, yeah, you get a shot of Eckhart standing over the fireplace. Right, right. And, uh, I, of course, everyone knows him best as the scientist from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles well, 2. yeah, the obviously. The Secret of the Ooze, uh, which is, of course, his, <laughs> his highlight uh, in terms of his IMDb page. No, um, it's not. <laughs> this guy, he's a well-respected English actor. Yes, he's he been is. in a lot of TV I'm and movies. Saying. He plays villains very effectively. Yeah, he... Well, except for in Ninja Turtles 2, he was kind of a hero. He played the mild-mannered scientist who saved the day by coming up with the ooze. Right, but the ooze was the bad thing. and it, Yeah, he was a bad guy. Okay, this is not a podcast about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> no, we okay? we do that movie. Oh sometime. my goodness. Token let's finish, to- let's, let's okay. finish fine, Twin fine. Peaks first, okay? okay. Uh, so yeah, and he's wearing sunglasses inside, and he's... Yeah, he, he does. He plays a great villain. He has that great accent. He doesn't say anything in this scene, but man, in future scenes, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy's a... Is and he South African? I don't know. I don't know where the accent is. I, I David Warner English. is the actor. Yes, and he, um, he, he is, is He is English. He's from he's um, from Manchester, but... Um, but I mean, yeah, they do, he does the accent, so... so and, 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 he, the confusing thing is, um, it makes sense they'd be English because they had Hong Kong until... Right, right, China, right, right. Yeah. But um, it was weird because uh, Packard supposedly ran London, the London yeah. half of things, yeah. and he has an accent as well. Right. But he's from Twin Peaks. Yeah, and it's... That really it's, bothered me, because it's, it's... And, well, Catherine, Catherine occasionally will affect... Yeah. Uh, it's almost a like a transatlantic a, accent. Like Yeah, like Catherine Hepburn's Yes, almost, yes. Like, that's really bit. kind of what they're channeling at times. Yeah. But except for uh, 
Andrew really does have like yes, he an does. English accent. Yeah. Where did he get that from? Yeah. Like, why was he in... I mean, did he just... Was he in England most of the time? Why does he care about the sawmill at all then? Like, yeah, yeah. He's got business interests all over the world. Yeah, exactly. What does Let it the matter? sawmill go. Yeah, give it to Catherine. Like, or Josie or whatever. Yeah, or whatever, right? But um, what I think is is more interesting is in, in Eckhart's introduction, he really does, without saying a word, you know immediately... Well, we've, we've heard descriptions of him, but even if you didn't, even if you just saw him, you'd know he was a villain. Oh, yeah. He's dressed in black. Yeah. His sunglasses reflect the fire yeah. really effectively. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he's literally... His eyes are aflame, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely... Uh, an evil presence that is that has come to Twin Peaks. And not the first one even in this episode because we've had Leo reasserted as, yeah. as a baddie. And not um, the last one. And not the last one because we are getting to uh, the big final scene. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, then we go to... Uh, the, sheriff's the sheriff's station, station and, and we get the wrap-up finally of the little Nikki drama. And it's Doc Hayward? Yeah. For some reason? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, because... So, so he gives, Doc Hayward gives the account of poor Nikki's mother who was sexually assaulted. Well, first of all, she was an immigrant. She was an immigrant from, chambermaid. Yes, at the Great Northern. At the Great Northern, who was sexually assaulted and conceived Nikki um, via a back alley rape. Yeah. Um, decided to carry the child to term, died in childbirth, and Nikki was passed on to adoptive parents who died in a car accident when he was six and he pulled his parents from the fiery wreckage like he's turned from from the complete opposite of a devil he's like this little angel who say tried to save his parents his adoptive parents lives and failed and then has been shuffled around from orphanage to orphanage foster home to foster home and dick and andy should be ashamed of themselves for for and they are they are they They start crying they start wailing which is really funny um and then it's and, it's yeah. undercut by Lucy's reaction. There's that like the scene that Aiden talked about in the in the opening about the blood. Yeah, she has she, a fly swatter and she she kills something, an insect. Yeah. And there's a huge streak of blood on it. It's and it's it's such kind a of like strange a it's a thematic transition in that. Well, no, not even the next scene. What well, kind of the mm-hmm. next scene? Next scene ups the tension a bit uh, and brings in the potential for violence, but it really comes in the the final scene, which is two yeah. scenes away. Yeah. Um, but about. The, the Nikki scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc Hayward's speech is just painful. I feel like the direction on this one was so muddled because he's kind of giving it as like a purposefully over-the-top speech. He's like, the way he's enunciating, not yeah. enunciating, the way he's, just the way he's delivering the lines, yeah. it's like, it's almost more of like a stage play. Yes. Where you're, you're getting an information dump and you're trying to make it uh, listenable. Yeah. I guess, just through... The, the strength of the voice. And, and Doc Hayward's trying to do that here. Yeah. Um, not, you know, but it's almost like the director didn't realize, like, no, this is television. It has to be a slightly different approach right. if you want this to be interesting for TV. Right. It's, it's, it's really painful for me to watch. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't enjoy it at all. The only thing that was good about it was Andy and Dick crying and being sat down like little kids. Yeah. And Doc Hayward, like, giving them a talking to. Well, I, I love his line about uh, cutting down Dick where he says... I didn't drop you on yeah, your head in this world. Yeah, don't even regret it. Um, which which really gives uh, a history to Dick Tremaine that we haven't previously had. Yeah. Remember when we, he was first introduced, we were like, this guy doesn't live in Twin Peaks. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't belong here. But clearly he, he was... Yeah. Doc Hayward delivered him. Yeah. So yeah, okay. no, and yeah, he and he grew he grew on me as a character. Yeah, it's uh, it's gradually. it's definitely. I mean, it's it's a funny scene, but it feels a little bit. 
And even even logistically, like for Doc Hayward to have, and this is me being pedantic, again. Pedantic piece. Yeah, um, but he has to call the orphanage to get all this information that he would have had anyway because he was Nikki's mother's doctor, and he knew his backstory. Yeah. Like I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know. It's it's just. <laughs> It is bad. I just, it's I mean, it's not great. No, so. and and yeah, and I really find the the delivery of that speech to be because I mean, I mean, there's lots of ways you could play. You could try and make it really sad. Mm-hmm. They went for a laugh, um, which is, I guess, okay too. Well, because, because I, I going for sad to... doesn't doesn't affect us because we we don't care about Nikki. we don't care about Nikki, yeah. right? And maybe that's what they realized was yeah. that this. Well, I this think they knew all along nowhere, that this yeah. plot was going nowhere. But um, then why start it in the first yeah. place? Yeah, it it didn't. It didn't serve anything. Yeah. It di- it only shows that Dick and Andy are not cut out to be fathers. Yeah. And that's all they've been doing is trying to compete for Lucy's attention. Well, that's how it started. And then they got wrapped up in their own little mystery and in the process revealed themselves to be pretty bad at, you know, common sense stuff. Yes. Like nine-year-olds are not murderers, yeah. typically. Typically. So anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, but I guess but, in Twin Peaks, anything can happen. So maybe they're just buying into the local lore. Sure, yeah. you know, if if you've got demonic entities manifesting themselves as owls, potentially. Why not as a nine-year-old? Why why not nine-year-olds murdering their children, murdering their parents? Yeah. Right. So. No, and it's true, and that's that's kind of an amazing thing about Twin Peaks is that for you know almost a whole episode. You kind of were wondering. You're like, yeah. is Nikki evil? Like, yeah. he, he did almost try and kill Dick. Yeah. Or he almost killed Dick. Well, you think. You think. I mean, it was obviously just an accident, but... But the, the, yeah. the, the show leads the show you can, down that path yeah, a little the show bit. Yeah, the show can make you believe really stupid things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this was not one of them. <laughs> like, really, at the end, you're like, I can't believe I thought of this. And and the story has ended. There's yeah. no more of Little Thankfully. Nikki. Thankfully. And it... Well, but, yeah, it just it's such an admission that this was a terrible... <laughs> plot yeah. line to start up and that they mercifully killed it through Doc Hayward giving it some some uh, necessary gravitas I yes. think yes so. well no not not that I was looking for what's the word when doctors kill people oh <laughs> euthanasia euthanasia he's just he he's putting it down yes. he's, he's yeah. very mercifully it was a compassion kill yes it really was in this case um <laughs> Another scene that could really use a well, shot in the arm. No, yeah. Is the James and Evelyn scene, which comes next. Yeah. And for so some J- reason, James is still there. And he's and still it's packing. Nighttime, yeah, and he's yeah. still packing. Yeah. yeah, I feel like he's Macaulay Culkin in in Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Like his mom should be, well, or maybe not his mom because yeah. his mom's absent, but someone, someone should be packing his clothes for him because yeah. he is. He has no idea what he's doing. What the French call les incompetents. Yes. And first of all, where does he put all this stuff? Because yeah. whenever he's riding, it's just his bike. Well, yeah, maybe he has a, a carry case in the back. I don't know. We've never really yeah, seen I've, I've never We've seen the front bike. of his bike. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know nothing about bikes. I Stick know to Jaguars. Yes, happily. Um, and there's, okay, I'm going to put this in because this is the best part of the Evelyn and James story is this clip. I can't stay here. I don't understand. It's wrong! Because I'm married? Yes. And I, I, that's that's the best part, was that line. James bringing out the funny, not not on purpose, I don't think. No, I, I, don't, I don't think, think it was. I think no, that was, but... like, him delivering that line genuinely. Yeah. Because that's all but they've it, been it, done, told it is, to do. I mean, Evelyn admits that she loves him. Yeah, the scene is kind of interesting, yeah, for that. Well, I don't buy it. No, it makes no fucking sense. 
I mean, first of all, we 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 have not established that her husband is actually a bad person at all. No. So far, Evelyn seems like the bad person yes. all the way through. She's making out with her brother. She's well screwing James and obviously setting him up for murder. She's the bad person so yeah. far. So why do we care if she loves James yeah. even? Yeah. Like even if it's true. I don't want her to love James because I like James more than I like Evelyn. Yeah. Just saying a lot at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it just, it was a terrible well, and, and, setup. And it's it's taking, I mean, the the convention of the soap opera makes this plausible. But Twin Peaks has not, it doesn't give us the permission to buy into this. No, like it does with the other soap lines. Well, yeah, Plot like lines, even yeah. even Nadine, I buy into, and that's yeah, that's a fairly yeah. soap opera type yes. thing. Well, I mean, even like there's lots of the soap opera relationship love yeah. storylines that come up right. in this, and Ned and Ed, Ned, Ned, that, that's their couple, <laughs> Ed, and, Ed and Norma, Ed and Norma, yeah, their their whole relationship right. is is pure soap opera. You know, yeah. the star-crossed lovers who married the wrong people, right, and, right, right, and should be together. And and I love that one. That's of that's course. one of my favorite storylines. But it it it's it feels a, because the characters are interesting and they engage yeah. and they they feel Whereas natural. Whereas this feels like it's it's really just been it's like they know now also that this storyline is pointless and and. But it does at the same time. It feels like they were building up to this. Obviously, the whole oh way, yeah like, this no was exactly. But this is out. this is what's disappointing about this. And we talked about this in a in an earlier when we first met Evelyn. That knowing where this plot line goes and then seeing how it starts and seeing how it progresses, you expect her subterfuge to be a bigger deal. But she just comes flat out and admits that yeah. her husband is dead, the police are coming, and we've been setting you up for this, yes. for this murder, she, so you'd better you'd better go. She blames and, uh, Malcolm. Of course she does. But she, she then says it's not her brother. But I would have liked it so much more if Evelyn was fully committed to being a bad person yes. she was a fully committed villain a because we haven't had any really truly good female villains in the show nope. Catherine kind of at the beginning yeah but, but she was she, redeemed really quickly yes, and blackie yes, kind of but, but she had this pathetic yeah you know drug addiction and everything like that so um to have a really truly decent female villain would have been nice would have been nice even no, if lana, it was lana is a witch lasted like yeah, 30 yeah, seconds it, yeah, yeah exactly so i mean so for for evelyn to all of a sudden like it when it when we first saw her on screen and you're like okay she's she's clearly she's trapping james, james yeah, this yeah. young she's a cougar cruising wallies for yeah, yeah, her next too, kill yeah. right she's collecting trophy boyfriends yeah. right and he was going to be the next one and and then, and then for it, it to actually be Malcolm is the mastermind and she's just this unwilling participant or and reluctant of participant. Of which the motivations are still not clear. Like, why do they want to kill him? I mean, do they just want to take his money? Yeah, and why I do they... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No. And, and they could have... If they wanted to kill him in a car accident, they could have just sabotage yeah, his car at exactly. any time and exactly. just said, oh, well, it was an accident. Yeah, the brake line's blue. It's a 44 Jag. Right, but instead, <laughs> Electrical... they, they've, instead they've put it on on this random kid that they meet at the bar yeah. who would have no motive for murdering him anyway. Well, except for now he's been sleeping with the with his I guess, wife. And, I guess, and but it still it still feels like, like they went down a path 
to creating a villain in Evelyn, yeah. and then backed off of it so quickly. Yeah, you got whiplash. From well, it. and that's so the then, thing, like my question here is: Does she really love him? Right. And my response is: I don't care because yeah. I don't give a shit about this storyline yeah. at all. But I, I also don't care for her or for James. Like no. I, I don't think it matters to either of them. No, because none of this matters. None of this matters. Well, we've already spent too much time talking about it. Yeah, to be no, honest, with it's you. true. But I mean, even if even if Evelyn, even if you buy her character that um, she's this traumatic, uh, you like, know, abused victim, woman. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we sympathize with Shelly a lot for basically the same thing. Um, it doesn't work here nearly as well because we don't see the abuser. We don't see how bad, uh, what's his name again? Jeffrey. Mark. Jeffrey, <laughs> frick. Um, well, we don't we even don't know if he that. is the abuser. Like yeah, that, that's it's not even established. Meeting him and seeing him as this, like, tracksuit wearing... Yeah, douche. Like, like sure. Yeah, he's, he's, doesn't, he's not immediately the most likable guy, but... But he's not. There's nothing overt about him that makes him seem like he's a wife beater, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm not necessarily convinced that that's even true. Like maybe Malcolm is the one who's, you know, beats her up to make her look bad. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe she beats herself. I, well, I don't no, know. Yeah. No, we heard, we heard a fight happen. We heard a but, fight, but we don't know if there was physical violence. Maybe yeah. Malcolm hits her afterwards. Yeah. Because Malcolm's the only one who's been telling James any of this. Of course. Of and then course. you know he and he's or they part probably of this make up or something. Too, yeah. Right. Like. There's just so many, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it it doesn't make a lot of sense, but um, it's almost over. And yeah, and that that's the sad thing because Donna. Okay, so James escapes because Evelyn tells him to leave. The yeah. cops are coming. James like runs Walks right by the, the cops. Front door basically, yeah. like right past these cop cars. And then Donna's just there. Yeah, she's hiding behind a tree. So she uh, found followed Evelyn home. I guess, which kind of makes sense because she knows James well enough. Maybe, that, but she's just been hanging out in the front yard. Yeah, for the six tree hours. For what the heck? Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. So, but then they run off, and 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 James stands there and looks at the house, and it's like, dude, the cops think you killed. killed. Well, they're a going dude. to right away. Well, yeah, exactly. But like, get out of there. And that's the other thing. Like, well, we we were listening to the Diane podcast on the way yeah. home today, uh, and we they said like, well, well, yeah, why are there like, there's first of all, there's like four cop cars show up yeah, yeah, yeah. to investigate like. Uh, uh, the, an accident, like a, a car accident. Right. So they must already have suspicions. Yeah, they must have inspected the brake lines or whatever they yeah. cut to 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 cause this problem. Yeah. But, you know, that's quite a few cop cars to show up. It and is. what, like, you would obviously investigate the wife first, but you wouldn't send eight cops there. It's not like it's a SWAT team coming yeah. to. This isn't Dead Dog Farm. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it seems odd that there's that much police presence. Anyways, this whole. Let's move on. Yeah, let's okay. move on. I'm done because with it. the the last scene is quite tremendous, and yeah. it continues with Leo's plotline, who we haven't seen since, since he ran, ran off screaming like a wounded animal into the woods, and he looks disheveled and kind of dirty, and he's been wandering. I guess it's been a full day, probably since yeah, it was last night when the he previous was, night. Yeah. So he's been wandering the woods for a period so. of time. Um, he's muttering about Shelly. Yeah, he calls her a bad girl yeah. again. Yeah. Um, but he's the fact that he's hung up on her is really like it's it's really indicative of how badly damaged he still is. Yeah. Like he's not all there mentally. He's not. No. Well, he was always. I think he was always going to be the kind of guy who was going to focus on his wife's infidelity once he found out about sure, it. Sure, but but at least he could string a full sentence together when he was talking about how right. Shelly made you made me do this in the past. You know. Uh, but here it's literally just Shelly, bad girl. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's it's he's the brain damage that he suffered uh, from being shot and all the blood loss and everything is yeah. permanently potentially 
well, at least for now, <laughs> incapacitated yeah, to the... he has enough. And that's that's another reason why I think that there, there has to be some kind of supernatural intervention because um, he's so mobile and he's so... He's so physically yeah, okay, but yes. mentally he's been reduced to like a small child. Yeah, exactly, basically. right? And, and so, and the fact that... The fact that he's wandering through the woods and he comes across the only cabin probably in Miles, yeah. it's like something drove something, him there yeah, yeah. or called him there. Yeah. Because he goes into this cabin and he sees a man in the cabin and it's a it's a pretty dilapidated like Yeah, it's uh, beat up and Yeah, and yeah. there's um like I don't even think there's glass in the windows. There's yeah. just like the the yeah, torn really. shreds of the drapery yeah. hanging there. And uh and like leaves blowing on the floor and everything like that, but it's the character who's in there get, grabs his, puts down a flute yes. or a, a, a recorder looks like a yeah, like some a wooden sort of, yeah. carved bamboo thing, yeah. and picks up a gun. Yeah, and, and Leo scared. backs away. Yeah. Leo, yeah, he knows so enough, enough to yeah, yeah. to get out of there. But this character says, "No, no, no, come in. What's yeah. your name? Come and sit down." Yeah, and Leo tells him his name, and then we get the big reveal that this is well, Leo. Um, and, and it's it yeah. is quite effective, isn't it? It is, and I I especially there's a bunch of small uh, clues there um, that I really like. A the fact that he also has a chessboard set up yes, in his exactly. house, yeah. and that he's keeping track of it. Also, his dress. Yes, he is basically the same as Cooper, but he's got the standard FBI uniform. Yes. He's wearing a suit and tie, but it's but it's disheveled. Yeah, and and it it's it mirrors his mind. Absolutely, know, the, he's he's not clean shaven. His hair's a mess. His shirt, like, Cooper would never let himself look like that. No, it's the opposite of the Great Northern yes. room that Cooper keeps so fastidiously exactly. clean and, and everything. It, it is a great visual this is, comparison. This is Wyndham Earl's environment. This yes, is, this is his, his, yeah. his, it's, I guess it's, it's a, it's a type of pathetic fallacy as well that, that your physical environment is going to mirror your emotional state. But yeah. this is exactly what it is. Yeah. It's this dirty, disheveled, um, chaotic kind of environment yeah. and then here's this dirty disheveled chaotic man yeah. who is playing a very dangerous game yes. and uh and I, I love the ending where the wind comes in and blows out the fire yeah. and you just get this lingering shot on the chessboard although you also get when Merle's just sitting there yeah yeah, yeah. it's no, kind of a weird it, it is weird like i mean logically it doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense you'd probably scramble nice. to put the light yeah, back yeah, in your yeah. you know i don't know maybe put double glazed windows <laughs> in your cabin but i don't know I'm not Wyndham Earl. Maybe no. he likes the breeze. Yeah, exactly. The fresh air is yeah. invigorating. Yeah. Um, he was Cooper's partner, and Cooper likes to pee out in the open. So, exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. So, and, and I thought this was an amazing intro for yes. Wyndham Earl, and it really does, it ties him to nature. The fact that the wind yes. blows in, and it's just part of him. You know? Yeah, the, yeah, The, the wind thing. is a, a very strong force of nature in the woods, yeah. especially in Twin Beaks. And the fact that it enters his space yeah his domain. space and and the part the space that is basically an extension of himself yeah. it appears um the fact that they're basically in a, they're open to each other and and yeah. he he feeds off of the the energy that, which is there. another reason why it just further hammered home to me that if if Wyndham Earl is somehow elementally connected to the fire to the fires that he set to the the lodgepole pine needles mm-hmm. that he dropped in the the, yeah, the or deposited there yeah. probably um in the sta- the sheriff station 
um, to the wind now and to the wood of the cabin. He is he is a part of nature. He's connected to something. I believe it if if that that he was involved in bringing Leo to him. And where we know that that storyline carries, yes, makes it all the more yes. Um, yeah, no, it's possible for sure. It's a yeah. very valid interpretation. I mean, I the problem with Wyndham Earl is he he thinks he's in control of the woods and the spirits and the energy and the evil. He's so his in the next couple episodes you find out he's looking for the Black Lodge. That's let's not spoil it too much. Okay, what okay. else were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say. Uh, and this scene sets up the fact that he thinks he's going to be... No, it basically establishes that him and the evil in the woods are, are connected in some way. Yeah. And bringing Leo to him is a, is a perfect example. Yeah. Um, but that gets subverted fairly quickly uh, really? for the rest of Wyndham Earl's character. I think so. I don't think it's subverted. I think you're thinking of the final episode, which we're not going to no, talk about right no, now. No, no, I'm thinking I of... think what, what, what does happen is he becomes jokey, and he becomes... So we had this great buildup of not seeing him. It's exactly the same problem that we had with Caroline Earl, right? We had this buildup of this character, and then the reveal... In Caroline's case, I think it failed. Yeah. In Wyndham Earl's case, the reveal is very powerful, yeah. but the rest of the development kind of falls off a cliff a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be talking about that in future episodes. Yeah, we'll talk so about that let's, let's Well, we'll save it for that. Um, I will say that the actor who played Wyndham Earl, Kenneth Welsh, is a native Edmontonian. Oh, he that's right. born yes. in Edmonton. He, he attended the high school that I did my APT at. In Victoria? He went to Victoria School, which was also the, um, the school that Leslie Nielsen went to. Leslie Nielsen, who also... Yes. Is not a native Edmontonian. He was but born he in the Northwest Territories, yeah. but he did attend school, school here. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wanted to say it's it's always nice when they when they choose Canadians to play baddies in this show. Yeah, God yeah. damn it! <laughs> they do a good job, though. They that's really do. They really so. do. But anyway, so yeah. that's the that's a little bit of trivia for you for that episode. So thank you for joining us for this is a very longer episode. Yes, it was, um, but uh, I think it was worth talking about just yeah. because of of Winterwell's introduction. And we the next episode is widely regarded as the worst yes so we have a special guest to we talk will about have it. a special guest on to help us kind of navigate the the lowest ebb of potentially two, yeah, of river. all of twin peaks <laughs> yeah. thus far yeah so, so we join have, us for that yes thank you if you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or a comment. We'd love to hear from you.